Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is COO Alliance member Dana Berg, the COO of SADA. As Chief Operating Officer, Dana is driven by the singular mission of identifying and implementing innovative solutions that create competitive advantages for our customers. With over 20 years of experience in the information technology field, he's developed a passion for building and leading high-powered teams that deliver customer-centric services with consistency and quality. Dana began his professional career with PricewaterhouseCoopers IBM while working with some of the world's largest customers like Honda, Floor Daniel, Baxter, Beckman Coulter, Dana began to appreciate the value of delivering excellence on complex engagements through the execution of proven project methodologies. With an early focus on enterprise content management from the life sciences industry, Dana leveraged his expertise in the global biotech Amgen, where he implemented some of the world's largest regulated solutions, supporting the information needs of clinical operations, manufacturing, and medical affairs. Building on this expertise over the last 10 years, Dana has since specialized and been a thought leader on digital transformation. Working closely with the best technology providers in the market, he's been responsible for leading strategy and providing operational management for some of the country's best delivery organizations. At SATA Systems, Dana continues his passionate work for customers by leading all delivery and services functions within the organization. Dana received his Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering and Computer Science from the University of Southern California, USC. So Dana, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Hey, Cameron, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. For and, and, and hey, thanks for uh, thanks for it, you know allowing me into the illustrious CEO, COO Alliance. I'm excited about joining. Yeah, it's going to be a great our organization for you. We're um, we're adding a pile of new members recently too. And we've added yeah. four in the last 24 hours. So, but oh, we're yeah. trying to we're trying to keep the bar up too. It's been really nice. Oh well, I'm sorry so, I ruined that. <laughs> I think you're I think you're okay. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about SADA. What exactly do you guys do? Yeah, so uh, SADA is a 20-plus-year-old organization. Uh, we are headquartered in Southern California, Los Angeles, specifically North, North Hollywood. We operate all across North America, including Canada. And we are in the business of providing digital transformation services with a singular close alliance with Google. So... We are Google's number one worldwide partner that finds ways to uh, help our customers take full advantage of how Google approaches the market of transformation. And we help them in areas of how to, how to approach cloud uh, as, as, a, as a main theme, how to, how to, how to buy it, uh, the, the financial ramifications on how to adopt cloud in an organization and then how to optimize it and, and control it thereafter. And then we have a very world-class professional services organizations that then go one step further and take uh, upper mid-market and enterprise scale customers through the journey of transforming their applications that have been historically living in data centers or maybe living in other clouds and trying to figure out how to modernize that so they can stay 
relevant and, and, and nimble and uh, be modernized so that they can uh, achieve their business objectives through, through the power of the cloud. So your, your customers are all enterprise level customers then? It's, it's, it's all enterprise, uh, upper, upper, upper corporate, as we like to call it, but think Fortune 1000, Fortune 2000, that's the place that we, spay, that we play in. And, and you've been with um, SADA for three years now? I have been. And it's been a, it has been a, it's been a great journey. I, I always like to say that uh, we are building the kind of company that we've always wanted to work for. Uh, progressive in our thinking. Uh, I use a term that probably people are getting sick of hearing it, but you know, people over profit, impact over EBITDA. Uh, we put our people first before anything, and and uh, just having that kind of vision or that that north star that we follow uh, has has created a just a beautiful, wonderful, special place that is filled with great people that love working here and they stay here, and all that goodness gets passed to our customers. So. What was it about SADA that attracted you then in a COO? You know, it was, uh, I, I've, I've had uh, a long career working for both very, very large organizations. And I, and I did have uh, my own opportunity to work in smaller organizations where as COO, I built, built those up and went through, you know, M&A, you know, processes. And I've always found that there is this, wonderful thing of a having the scale and infrastructure and means that a large scale organization has, but I've always loved the, the, the agile nimbleness family-like feel that comes with, you know, a, a, a bit of a smaller organization. Uh, first off, you know, SADA has, has that, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed in many respects and being the leader in what we do. And, and so we have the means to, to kind of provide the things for our people and our customers that only the big guys can, but, but we're still at that perfect kind of sweet spot size to where the, 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 the line that most of us can draw uh, to the fruits of our, our labor and our efforts, we can see the impact there. And, and I love that about SADA. Uh, we'll talk, you know, certainly on how my ideas are on how, how to keep that going as we add hundreds of people every year, because that ultimately will always be a challenge. But um, I fell in love with the vision. I fell in love with the passion. Uh, I have a great, wonderful, beautiful relationship with our CEO, uh, who is a close friend of mine. And uh, it starts at the top and, and, and we are very close, very connected. And, and that helps too. And how many people in the organization now? Can you speak to that? Yeah, we have we have about 400. We'll be north of 500 at the end of uh, 2021. And your CEO? Uh, his name is Tony Safoyan. You won't have a hard time finding him as I joke with him every single day because he's on LinkedIn uh, with five, or 5 million posts a day. So uh, most <laughs> of your listeners will probably already be connected with him because of the number of followers he has. And I, and I do like to play and, and, and jest with him as much as I possibly can. Of course, that makes mm -hmm. it fun. So, uh -huh. so what is it about, um, how did you guys divide and conquer the roles between CEO and COO and what's the leadership team look like at SADA right now? Yeah, great question. Um, so the way that, that we divide it is uh, Tony and our, and our CEO, he, he really focuses on outbound market demand gen 
keeping top of the funnel pipeline coming in, uh, heavily involved in the alliance side of our business, as well as guiding a lot of the sales and marketing uh, functions. I, I, I play a role in that too, but uh, I like to say that all the promises and, and, the, and, the, and the crazy ideas that he commits to, uh, I will run all of the operations and the fulfillment engine of the business to, to, to make those, those things a, a reality. So I look after you know, the operating plan and put together the budget and, and, and oversee and make tweaks and turns the knobs on that throughout the day and, and measure the, the performance. But, but the, the, the fun part really is, is leading all of the, the, what I call the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, all of the divisions that are in some way, shape or form part of the machinery that are fulfilling promises, executing on professional services, pre-sales, post-sales support, all of those things that constitute the, the bulk of the, the headcount, but also are the ones that uh, are, are uh, you know, meeting the service obligations that we make in the, in, in the, in the market. It's interesting. I've watched you and we've spoken a couple of times before and you've, you've got a lot of good humor and, and a little bit of sarcasm in you. You must be from the East coast because are you from the East coast? No, actually no. I'm, I'm, I'm a born and raised Valley boy. Are you really? Yeah. Wow. yeah you, from you, Southern California. You got a little yeah. bit of that Philly sarcasm in you that how, yeah. how do you play with the CEO and joke around like that and not let it get in the way of like, or not get it misconstrued when we're working so fast or are you just cognizant yeah. of that humor? Yeah, no, you know, there's, there's a, there's something I, that I, I like. Very similar. Cause I'm, I'm like that too. Yeah. No, you know, I, I, I think it's something that someone was just asking me on a, on a, I was interviewing somebody and they were asking kind of my management style and, 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 and I, and I was, I just responded to this question. Uh, you know, I like to say that, yeah, we're all employees and we're all quote unquote colleagues, but if we can't find a way to embrace the humanity in each of us and, and embrace the, the things that make humans feel like humans, which is this perfect, great, wonderful thing that includes humor, a bit of levity, uh, sometimes sadness, frustration, anger, like all of those things, like we need to be and, and cultivate an environment to where it's okay and very accepting to, to have a degree of authenticity to allow that to, to, to kind of transfer into the, to the, to the workplace. And you can, you can do that while maintaining exceptional professionalism. Some people think that you can't do one and, and do the other. You, you certainly can. Um, but I also know that, you know, since many of the people that listen to this podcast are, are very interested in that CEO, COO relationship, mm-hmm. You, you can't you can't operate like that unless first and foremost there's just an incredibly incredible degree of trust right that's where I was wondering if it was yeah yeah and, and and trust is everything I mean you can talk about your own style the way you communicate if you're you know you're sarcastic you're witty you're shy you're an introvert it doesn't matter uh, at the end of the day if there is trust in 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 how we we interact uh, you know, you always know the, the, the place that they're coming from. Yeah. And, 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 and it takes, 
you know, it does take some time. Sometimes in these types of relationships, it takes a long time to cultivate that trust. I, I happen to be very fortunate that with me and, and, and my CEO, that trust was formed very quickly and almost right out of the gate, which, which, which doesn't happen too often, which is something I'm super grateful for. What, what do you think you did that helped build that trust? And I was hoping that's where you were going to go. It goes, kind of goes back to Pat Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team that within the absence of trust, everything else fails above it. So how did you establish that trust and how do you continue to build that trust between you and maybe also flip it between you and some of your direct reports too? Yeah. Well, I knew, I knew when taking on this role, one of the, the things that I was very clear about, and, and, and Tony knows this is that, you know, that you can't, you can't be effective as a COO unless you have full access uh, to to everything. And, 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 and we're talking, you know, public information all the way down to, to, to very private sensitive information. And, and, and I, and I believe that that's not something that you get on day one, but it's incrementally shown in how you deal with those sensitive topics each day in and day out. Um, uh, I call it the vault, right? You know, we, we, we discuss, we work on, we talk through things of, of, of great importance all the time. And you have to, you have to know uh, and, and, and be very smart about how you transmit that information. You deal with that information. You, 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 you do, and you do it every single day in different ways. Um, and, and I think it, it helps if you know that, you know, the ethos and the belief system of the other person and, and you, and you see their decision-making, you see them uh, interact in a room with a group of people and you, they see you echo the same types of things that ultimately they would echo and vice versa. And you, you start to create a bit of a shared consciousness. And the more that shared consciousness is created over time, then trust will follow. And, and I do the same thing with my team. Um, you know, it's, it's creating a degree of awareness. Uh, what are we doing? What are we trying to achieve? And being very, very expressive, you know, you know, clear as to, you know, what kind of, you know, collective intelligence do we all need to be on the same page about? And if we're not all achieving collective intelligence and you have a high degree of alignment, then, then you're going to have situations where, you know, things happen and you're not on the same page. And then, of course, you're breaking things down. How do you how do you work with a team of 400? You've got to be you're at the stage now where company politics exists. How do you kind of orbit that or break that down that, you know, the politics silos, turf wars? How do you work around that stuff through that stuff? Or is it just part of the deal at this point? Yeah, you know, you know, I've been in uh, smaller companies that have had a lot more politics than here, fortunately. Um, you know, I don't I don't. And, and, I, and I would, I would, I would, I would, if I'm, I am a betting man and uh, you know, so this is not uncharacteristic of me, but if I were to bet, you know, if you pulled, you know, our, our employee base, you would not find that what they would say is that there are politics inside of SADA. Uh, we, we actually pull our employees every single month, by the way, and we do e employee MPS every single month. Uh, like I said, people, people, people experience is the top top priority for us. And then customer experience and partner experience will ultimately then follow. Um, 
I believe that because we make that the centerpiece of our message in every single town hall, every single annual meeting, um, we, we, we preach the, 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 the working dynamics of healthy functioning teams uh, where if there's something that's bothering you, you go and be direct and you embrace feedback and you embrace and you, you, you learn to respect different views. And we talk about that and we talk about that. We talk about that. And uh, you have to do it like a rhythmic drum all the time. And I, and I think if you do that, what happens is naturally politics don't become a big thing because politics occur when you've got back channel conversations, you've got things being discussed that, that, you know, are secret uh, and you, you don't go to the source when you have to, you know, deal things. So when I hear that or someone brings something to me, one thing that I think avoids politics is a, I could dive in and solve that problem direct, or you can, really push that down and say, you solve that direct, you solve that direct. And the more you do that, and the more my team does that, and their teams do that, and their teams do that, I think it's a natural remedy for, oh, I guess those types of channels and routes don't work the way that I need to work. And then everyone gets kind of ingrained on how to kind of, you know, channel it go. And I hope that, you know, we continue to do that as we, we add so many people. I like that you measure your employee net promoter score monthly. I also like that you have it as your number one priority in the organization because you're right. I think that once we focus on ENPS first, the customer NPS comes second, and then revenue and profit just follow fast after that. What what's your employee net promoter score currently, and and um, what tool do you use to measure it? Uh, we we have a net promoter score that I think is now north of seventy as of recent. Um, we we read that like a hawk and we uh we uh we read every comment it's all anonymized and and so and 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 every town hall that we have and now we do those weekly for everybody in the company for a half hour we meet as a group we encourage it and and we get them get them going um and i forget your other question you know what software it is or what tool you use oh you know we are using Right now, I believe a, a very primitive form of a Google form right okay. now. And then we aggregate it into a data warehouse that crunches right. the MPI score and then visualizes it in a dashboard. It just works, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it just works. You know, we looked at some other tools and things, but, you know, in truth, it's the simplicity of it is beautiful. Yeah, it's all you need. Like I was talking to a company the other day that only has 30 employees and they're like, what do I do? I'm like, walk around with a pad of post-it notes, give everyone yeah. a post-it note and a pen and say, here, fill it out, turn your back and have them drop it into a paper bag. You got all 30 people in five minutes. Go, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. When you got yeah. 400 people and EMPS of plus 70, um, you're in a good zone with, with positive 400 people. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back into the, um, the, the, when you were entering into the company then as COO coming in, did you come in as COO originally? Four I did. Years, three years ago? Okay. I did. What was, people always ask, you know, what do I do in that first hundred days, right? The first 90 days, what did you do in coming in? So a number one, I'm a big believer in not making any major decisions fast. Uh, I've seen that uh, story play out and, and and I don't think it works. Um, So personally, without really sharing this with anybody, I, I I knew that I needed a good quarter to acclimate myself to the business. Despite the fact that I've been in this business and this type of business for 20 some years, yep. 
uh, every business is different and it's got its own nuances and you don't know it until you start living it for, you know, you know, 12 to 16 weeks. That was number one. I'll tell you what I did do. And, and Tony and I joke about it. I think I have the book somewhere else where we, we went out uh, to lunch a, a couple of weeks or three weeks after I got there and I, and I pulled out my notepad and under two pages, it basically described not my evolution over the course of the next 30, 60, 90 days. It was inferred, but it was actually my CEO's evolution over the 30, 60, 90, 120 days. So what I said was success looks like this to me. If I begin to see you in a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, evolving into you doing more of this, more of that, more of this, wow. less of this, less of this, less of this. To me, that is going to be my guidepost as to now reverse engineering the kinds of actions that I need to now then work on such to where I unlock him to do the job that he needs to do. Wow. And that's how I, that's how I planned it. So I, I kind of planned my, my, my role and my, my action plan off of how I needed his action plan to change. Interesting how you started to lead up right from the beginning with that as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 I want to go backwards before um, Sada. You mentioned just kind of off the cuff, something about going through some M&A stuff. Were you, were you part of companies that were acquired or were you part of companies that did some acquisitions? So I had always been on the, on the sales side. So I, I prior to coming to Sada had been a partner in an organization in which we ran a process and got bought and got acquired. Uh, that experience in part was some of the, some of the reasons uh, why it was attractive to come here because immediately upon coming into SADA, we ran a similar process to divest a, a good portion of our business. And I was uh, a big part of, of running that process for the first 10 months I was here. And it was the same type of business that I sold, you know, you know, eight, eight years prior. Uh, and, and, and those, those processes are, are grueling as I'm sure you've been through Cameron and, 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 but at the same time, they're, they're a lot of fun and filled with a lot of adrenaline. So walk us through what you learned and what would make it successful for people that want to sell their company. I'm currently coaching four companies that are all positioning to sell this year. They've engaged with an M&A firm to help them sell. What, what makes a company sell for you know, a maximum valuation? What makes it easy for them to sell? What, what, uh, what do you have to do so that you don't blow up the team and scare the shit out of everybody during the process? Yeah. Give us some of those thoughts. I'll highlight maybe two or three things that come top of yeah. my mind. And again, it's, it's probably hard given the diversity of the, the businesses that are listening. Um, well, well, first off, there has to be command of, of your projections and there has to be, uh, you have to bring out all the evidence to show that the, the, the plans uh, are, are consistent with past performance. And, and what helps with that, I, I know in places that I've had before, is if, if you do have a business model that has any form of reoccurring revenue, uh, we love that. And, and our business is built and predicated on, uh, on reoccurring revenue. And 
if you have that, it's it's a fabulous thing because you can model that, you can project that, and it and it's a it's a nice guarantee of, of revenue. So, I, I think that's great. Um, I, I do I do believe second thing is in my experience uh, there is sometimes this tendency when you're running a process to isolate the M and A team to a, a super small set of people <laughs> to avoid the yeah. the the knowledge of this getting out in, in, an, in an unprotected way. So you can't control the narrative. And then of course, having the, the downstream effect of that. If, if you're too conservative with that approach, um, the people that you need in the process to strengthen your message uh, will not be involved. And buyers wanna see not just the strength of the financials, but they want to see the strength and the caliber and the depth of the people. Sure. And, and so it would be easy for the CEO and the COO to do all the talking and to drive all the things and do all that. They probably at that stage already have a degree of faith or confidence in you because they yeah. see us more. Yeah. But, but I found in every single case, well, I've done it twice. One, the old way where you, you kind of just have the, you know, the two or three major leads, the CFO, COO, and the CEO to kind of run everything. Uh, and then I've done it in another way where through NDA, through legal paperwork, we broaden that net a little wider to a select group of people that you know you can trust, right? If you can get them an active participate in the process and you can begin to get them forging the types of relationships with the, the counterparts on the buyer side, mm. it it represents a, 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 a sentiment of of strength and, and it, and it looks more like a machine. It doesn't look sure. like this business is, is built on the heroics of one or two. Yeah. Uh, and, and I found that to be, you know, very, very strong. That's interesting. How about on the acquisition side, when you were doing the acquisition of the company or sorry, you were divesting of a company. Um, yeah. what do you think you learned there? Same idea. Yeah. You know, same thing. Um, that was a, that was a little bit different cause we were, we, we, we divested that and, um, uh, we, we called that moment, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, our existential flex. Uh, we 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 subscribe to the beliefs of Simon Sinek a, a lot in our company, and 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 we follow kind of his guidance on things. And he t- he talks about this concept of, you know, at once or twice, maybe if you're lucky in in the in the journey of a corporate company, as you're on this path to an infinite game, you might perform one existential flex, which means this dramatic move to, to catapult your company on a completely different course. And, 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 and you're doing that to ultimately advance your just cause. We did that a couple of years ago by, by taking a 20 year old business and selling that off. Uh, and, and it was a great business, a wonderful business uh, and, and doing it so that we could actually redirect our emphasis and focus into what our highest growing business was and unbridle ourselves from that, not having any channel conflict and to put all of our, our energy there. Um, I think in that process, a divestiture is a little weird. You've got to carve out things mm. in, in ways. And, and when you're carving out, uh, you have to make the buyer really understand and make sure that you are, you are providing a fully functional unit that's not dependent upon the, the, the other machine. That takes a lot of work. And you got to get really, really smart as to how you draw those dividing lines. And then more importantly, 
as you, you know, as you do it, it's a change management exercise, man, like a massive communication side, both externally as well as internally. And I would stress internally just as important to where those that are left behind that are now part of the new normal that are now, you know, on a, on a path to, to execute upon a very different type of long-term company strategy. They have to be brought along as to why you're doing it in a very transparent and a very, very, very simple way. And so we spent a lot of time with that team thereafter, making sure that they bought into that vision. And, and so far it's been just the best thing we've ever done. Well, I don't know if you know, yeah. Simon was on our board of advisors back at 1-800-GOT-JUNK five years before he did his TED talk. Oh, he did. Oh my yeah. God. He's so when, great. When Simon, Simon actually flew out to Vancouver to meet Ryan and I to see if we were real because he'd read yeah. about Fortune magazine. He had a five person ad agency in New York and he wanted to see if our company was real and he brought me a rosemary plant because the article in, in Fortune talked about me inhaling rosemary to inspire me. Get out. Oh. Yeah, no, we've, we've got some oh. pretty crazy stories about when, you know, getting to know each other and becoming friends way back when. Simon's uh, awesome. We had, we actually had one of his, his guys who is on his team uh, speak to our company a few months ago uh, uh, in one of our, in one of our all hands. Oh, so. you, didn't, you didn't want to pay Simon's hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. We, we chose to, for, we chose to forego that till next year. <laughs> yeah. We chose to forego that till next year. I remember, I remember I've got probably had emails begging Simon to start charging for speaking events. Cause he wouldn't charge. It was back. In the, <laughs> couldn't, he, nobody would book him. Like there was. Yeah. No yeah. And now look at him. Right. Yeah. Now look at him. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about the, um, the fortune one, one thousands and selling into these big firms. What's it, what, what are the pitfalls to selling to some of these big firms and how do you know when the big firms are just not going to buy and they're just kind of stringing you along because that's sometimes what big corporate does. You know, they don't say no, they just pass you to the next department and then all of a sudden you're 18 months in. So, so yeah. what, what's the success of selling to them? And secondly, how do you prevent yourself from getting strung along? Well, I think generically in any business, I, I think you, there are some warning signs. Uh, obviously, if if this is a heavily procurement-driven uh, process on behalf of the customer and they are the shield behind the buyers and you don't have a lot of access to it, immediately right there, you're, you're, you got your, your red flags up. Uh, first question we ask is, you know, what's the strength of our relationship with the what I call KOLs, key opinion leaders there that are going to be instrumental in these decisions and, and how, how strong is that relationship? Uh, if the answer is little to no relationship there and all we know is the buyer or the, the procurement buyer, uh, that's, a, that's a low success rate probability of, of acquisition. Um, usually, if you do know those folks, uh, you get brought into what that process is going to look like early and and, and as procurement does get involved, uh, you're, you're already ahead of the game. You, yeah, you're already, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you've, been, you've been involved there in the beginning. I, I do think that, though, with us, there's another dimension that also helps. And I imagine it's, it's the same with, with a, lot of, a lot of people in, in different businesses is that you can win in the enterprise, just not on the strengths of only your brand, but you can... Uh, you can align to larger brands that are bigger, that will endorse and and push forward the efficacy and value and 
impact that we've we've had in other places and we can have them tell that story which will sometimes come with 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 more with more merits and so you know it's no secret that we we are an all-in google place here and and we're we're google's biggest advocate and and obviously biggest partner by by most accounts and so um we 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 spend a lot of time cultivating that relationship mm. even in the in the, in the outs even you know, outside of a specific deal, we spend a lot of time cultivating that relationship, showing to them our loyalty, showing to them our credibility, our, you know, what we do and how we do it. And, and we work very openly with them transparently. I mean, almost like we're extensions of their team. Why? It helps our team get a little bit more connected, but also to your point, when we're going into enterprise, we, we sell together, we sell together. And if we're in there, you know, with a, a partner that, that has even more enterprise uh, creds than, than even maybe we might have. Uh, it's a, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing that you can have that kind of relationship with a partner and then do it together. So, you know, I'd always be looking for, you know, ways in how you can strategically partner to, to better affect the outcome and, and also provide a better service ultimately to the client. Yeah, that makes sense. Talk yeah. about how you stay agile and nimble as a 400 person company and, and working with these big corporate, what are the, are there systems or mantras or, you know, methodologies that you guys use to stay agile and nimble when you're big? Yeah. I mean, we've got tools coming out our ears right now. <laughs> uh, I don't always love that, but uh, obviously being a technology company, uh, we have a very technically savvy work face that, that, you know, harnesses, you know, technology to, to help with streamlining collaboration. And, and of course we have some conviction in this thing called Google that helps with that too. Uh, I don't know why, but yeah, Google, Google is why we, we picked it. Of course we know why. Um, but, you know, I think the way we structure our teams is very intentional. Uh, we try to decompose them into groups that have an affinity with each other that creates shared accountability. And, and whenever I think of reorgs and I think of how we structure our people, I always think about does the structure in there, if they were to get into a room, would they be able to identify very, very crisply and easily what their, their own specific charter is? Wow. And, and, and if you can't really define that very well, then what you're dealing with is a bunch of apples and oranges in there. And, and I don't think that team is really built for agility. And, and, and so we try to decompose, we try to keep decompose it to a point where you're, you're, you're so connected with, uh, with a competency area, or sometimes it's a geography lens. Sometimes it's a vertical uh, distinction, but, but if you get it right, I think the grouping and the pairing that you put in place natural and, and there's a little bit of an incentive model there too. Sometimes it, it naturally creates a, a degree of streamlining the decisions that need to be made that then hence creates some agility and nimbleness. You, you mentioned, this is amazing. You mentioned the whole people first culture that you have as well inside of Sada. What, what are some examples of that that you kind of use? Think about Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I never go on to Glassdoor and stuff like that, but I'm told if that you do, it's like, oh my gosh, look at this place called Sada. Uh, you know, we we win every best place to work award and have for 15 years. Uh, we have an amazing people operations team that wake up every day, not thinking about HR processes and how to, uh, you know, 
slow down the progression path of, of promotions or how to do that. Like what they wake up every day is their top priority. And they're thinking of what are we going to do today to enrich culture? Like that's, I have a wonderful head of people operations and she goes to bed every single night, not worrying about is the company protected from this, that, and the other, which a lot of HR people think is their top charter. She, she goes to bed at night and wakes up every single day thinking about culture, 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 culture. Um, and, and what that translates into is over communication, over communication, uh, to the point where some might think, oh my gosh, this is, this is getting crazy. We meet as an entire company for a half hour, 400 people every single week. Wow. Um, and, and that's led by our CEO and with, with guests that come in all the time. And, and that's an example of people first. And is that, um, is that town hall style? Is it more state of the union? Is it it's town hall style? Uh, and, and, you know, we do some real different things there. Um, you know, we, we highlight first home time buyers and we show pictures of their house. We home, you know, we highlight, um, you know, personal things that are going in life, you know, you know, someone, you know, got married and, and we're still able to do that at 400. Right. And I think we'll still be able to do that when we're even, you know, a thousand yep. to some extent. Um, and, you know, you know, the other thing we do, which, which is kind of a people first, it's part of what I was saying around embracing humanity. You know, you know, the day of this recording, we're watching like the George Floyd uh, verdict. And, and that's a, that's a massive society uh, impacting event that's going on and everybody has feelings about that and everyone um, has to acknowledge that and you know we have had a lot of things that have gone on this year that have been in this in the social injustice camp you know that there's some things that as a leadership team you can do to try to you know just kind of ignore that and not talk about it but but what we what we try to do and this comes from the top and I, I and I give all credit to you know my my amazing friend and leader you know Tony is we we bring those things to town halls and we 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 force the uncomfortable acknowledgement of what's going on right. and that's a scary thing man that's a scary thing because yeah. obviously these are contentious topics and these are serious topics but what what it does is a we feel like we have a degree of of a role to to be a bit progressive and force some of these conversations that we think are good for humanity and society. But more importantly, man, what they do do is it reminds us, it reminds us, it reminds us, it reminds us that we are humans over employees. We are humans over employees. We think about these things. We see this stuff on CNN. We see this stuff on the news. And it, and if you ignore it, then you're ignoring the fact that we're humans. Wow. And, and I love the fact that we bring that stuff up. I love the fact that we talk about that. And, and, and I love how, you know, it, it encourages us to, 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 to be a little bit more authentic. Well, it's, um, I know you said that you look at Glassdoor and, and you don't really know. So I'll tell you, uh, you have 4.8 out of five rating on Glassdoor, which is extraordinarily high, 198 uh, reviews so far, super, super strong. Dana, I want to ask you one more question before we wrap. If you were to go back to your 21, 22 year old self, <laughs> just, just leaving just leaving college and you wanted to give yourself some advice that you might listen to right because we never listen to anybody else what advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today yeah it's that's it's true um uh i uh i had a, a team meeting last week and, and and i laid out uh some of my expectations for the year 
and 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 those expectations were not just outcomes, but they were characteristics of what I want my team to 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 model. And I use this word called the flight attendant rule, which is which is you can get bared down and burdened by uh, bad news uh, issues that prop up. And and as you know, the more and more you get up in the organization and my leaders are progressing and maturing and taking on more responsibility. Sometimes only the bad news rises. Um, And, 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 you know, my, my advice and, and I, and I, and I, I, I counsel myself on this every single day is, is this flight attendant rule. Yeah. There, there might be smoke coming out the engines. The, the plane might be rattling a little bit, but the flight attendant can't be the one that's freaking out when that stuff happens. The flight attendant has to have a degree of calm and a degree of control and, and a, and a degree of optimism. Why? For the sake of the sanity of the plane. And, and, and I, if I were to go back to my, my 21 year old self, uh, I, you know, I'd worry all the time. I would just, I was a worrier and, and I, and, and, and in many ways, the worryness probably was part of the strength that stimulated me to work so hard, but God, it affected me. It affected me. And it was something that was always there. And, and I've, I've just naturally learned that, you know, that part of the work life, especially as a COO is, is par for the course. You have to, you have to know how to, tackle those things with a craft that you work on with a muscle that you build that is that is kind of like working out and and as you see them you got to kind of breathe you got to kind of relax you got to see the optimism you got to portray the hope rather than first portraying anger and frustration and coming down and and you got to tone that down a little bit and and it's certainly something that I've I, I've learned along the way and, and 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 certainly something that I preach that's amazing Dana Berg, the COO from Sada Systems and the COO Alliance member. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Really appreciate it. You got it, Cameron. It's a pleasure. It's all mine. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.